Lord God, we are so grateful for this sixth day of Christmas that we continue to remind ourselves that you are indeed with us in Jesus Christ. And we ask, Lord, that you would take some of these well-familiar stories to us and speak new, fresh truths into each and every one of our lives so that, in so doing, Lord, we would be your people in a new and profound way. I ask now, Lord, that you would truly think our thoughts, that my words would be yours, that you would bend our wills to your will and set our hearts on fire with love for you and for your son, Jesus Christ. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, for Joseph and Mary, as this narrative begins here at verse 21, it's been a week that has passed since that first Christmas when the angels filled the skies. Uh, they announced Jesus' birth to the amazed shepherds who then ran leaping over fence posts and what have you to get to see the Savior lying in a manger, the Savior King lying in a manger. And so here's young Mary, a teenager, who'd hardly recovered from giving birth. All those mental images that I'm sure are just going over and over in replay in her mind. The forced journey to Bethlehem. The struggle to find a place to give birth to Jesus. Her labor. And Joseph anxiously trying to help her and a sister as she gave birth. The sheer wonder of what they had gone through in just a little over eight days till we started to read about the circumcision. Can you imagine? Unlike so many who would nod to the memory of Christmas on every December 25th, this couple would live their entire lives just in sheer awe of the Incarnation. The Incarnation. That mystery that, mystery, that unfolding mystery that Jesus is God in the flesh through Mary's body. And so these beautiful events that are recorded in verses 21 through 40 of Luke chapter 2 were to Mary and Joseph to deepen and confirm the significance of the incarnation in their minds and ultimately in their hearts, and for the faithful that would follow for the next couple thousand years to our day today. And specifically the events associated with this baby's circumcision, Mary's purification, and his firstborn dedication help them ponder the meaning, and it will do the same for us if we will avail ourselves to it. I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 2. Because what this does is make the Incarnation more than just a December the 21st, 25th celebration. But it's a yearly experience for us that brings true peace and joy, my friends. So what we're going to learn in this text this morning is the identity of God. We learn who God comes for, or in other words, to whom God comes and we discover the work that he does in a true believer's life. All right, We learn the identity of God, to whom God comes, <coughs> and the work that he does in a believer's life, bringing true peace. So let's look at this. Verse 21. We overlapped a little bit from Christmas Eve. I think that's appropriate. You've got to remember where we came from. 
for those of you, especially if you, not everybody is able to make Christmas Eve. So we want to make sure everybody gets caught up. And so Luke describes Jesus' circumcision in just one verse. At the end of eight days when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus. The name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. It was important that Jesus was circumcised, and so by doing, he was identified as one of God's covenant people. Males were circumcised, and females were covered under that male circumcision as part of God's covenant people. We are people of Abraham. If you weren't circumcised, you weren't in the covenant. Even though you might have Jewish blood going through you, it was a sign of obedience for the parents to have this circumcision. So we might think that's the matter of significance, but it's not. What is truly significant here was this was the circumcision where his name was now announced, which is Jesus, which means Jehovah is salvation. The rabbi used the phrase in front of the congregation, name this child. Does that sound familiar? It's from our baptism service. Well, it's not from, we didn't make it up. It's been around for thousands of years that we name our children the name. And it's essential to understand the incarnation through, though, sadly, in our secular age, so few people really understand what Jesus' name means. So it's up to us to share it with them. But for those of us who do know him, the name is both a claim and it's a promise. And that is why so often on our lips is the, the great song, O oh Jesus, how sweet the name. The origin of the name reveals something that makes it even more precious to us. Jesus is the Greek for the Hebrew Joshua. And it's pronounced in Hebrew Yeshua. The name of the great man who succeeded Moses led Israel into the promised land. We know Joshua, right? Originally, however, Joshua's name was not Joshua, but Hosea, which means salvation in Hebrew. But because of his faith, because of his leadership, in believing that the promised land would be taken, Moses called him in Numbers 13, 16, changed his name from Hosea, salvation, to Joshua, which means Jehovah is salvation. Okay? And so, as we all know, he became Israel's greatest general. So, Joshua, or Jesus, not only means Jehovah is salvation, but it also means in him is our deliverance. Carries the idea of being delivered by heroic action from the bondage of sin. So the name of Jesus shouts to the world the heroics of both the incarnation and the cross. Think of it that way. And so in recognizing that now, I want you to consider this, that Joseph and Mary had been told on separate occasions what to name the baby. Matthew 1 the angel said to Joseph, in a dream, she will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins, Matthew 1.21. And we heard on the fourth Sunday of Advent during our carol service 
Luke 1.31, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. You can imagine this young couple, right, talking about this. Before their son's birth, and during the week since. But when the time for circumcision came, Joseph had to answer the question. Name this child. And he uttered the divine name, and I imagine it just overwhelmed him. His name is God is salvation. Yeshua, Jesus. This baby shall be called our salvation from this time forth forevermore. This baby of ours is salvation. (laughs) How about that for a birth memory? You know, certainly this was a topic of conversation around the dinner table time and time again. Sweetheart, tell me again how you heard in your dream. Tell me again. And he's saying to Mary, tell me about Gabriel and what he said to you. That Jesus, our son, is our salvation. If this is not part of your mindset, perhaps you have not yet come to know Jesus. Because this Jesus is our salvation. And as John Newton said it so well, how sweet the name of Jesus sounds in a believer's ear. This Christmas name was followed by the knife of circumcision and the sharp cry of the Son of God as a baby and the blood of his circumcision as he was now fully identified as God's covenant people. But it doesn't stop there in the meaning for us, my friends. Okay, we now know who God is. Well, to whom does he come? Because the post-Christmas events were the rites of Mary's purification and the couple's presentation of the firstborn male. And this is about a month later, after the circumcision. So this reveals the kind of people to whom Jesus does come to. Because first of all, the poverty of the Jesus' parents was obvious, considered the humble offering that they made from Mary's purification and obedience to the law. But when the time came for the purification and the dedication, according to the law of Moses, they brought Jesus up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. Verses 22. And every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice according to what is set in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. That they offered a poor woman's offering is clear. Leviticus 12 verses 6 through 8 stipulates that the purification offering must be a yearling lamb for a burnt offering and then a pigeon or a dove for a sin offering. And then Leviticus Leviticus continues in verse 8. If she cannot afford a lamb, she shall take two turtle doves or two pigeons, one for a burnt offering and the other for a sin offering, and the priest shall make atonement for her, and she shall be clean. We can't imagine, probably in the American frontier you could. I mean, when a woman got pregnant, she didn't go anywhere. She had to take care of herself and care for her 
her baby that was growing in her womb, and so she couldn't get to synagogue. She couldn't publicly confess her sins, and therefore the purification ceremony was important for her to know that she's forgiven. She, her sins truly are forgiven, and she's part of God's people. But also the other sacrifice is for thanksgiving to God that she's still with us. Because we all know, right, that giving birth to a child, even, even times today, can be dangerous business. And so we used to have in our prayer book, it's not a politically correct named service, but in the Anglican prayer book, you used to have when a woman came back into the church about a month or two after the baby had been born, we welcomed the woman and the baby back with the churching of woman service. It was actually, it's a beautiful service, welcoming the family and the mother back into the community of God's people. You know, uh, the prayer book committee wrestled with that, saying maybe we should put it in, just change the name. But uh, I don't think that it made it, because it's just so, it sounds, you know, so patriarchal. But Mary and Joseph's humble offering was a public declaration of their utter poverty, my friends. And what we see again in their willing to go, because if you were utterly impoverished, it was embarrassment to offer two turtle doves. But they were God's covenant people. They were going to be obedient to the end. And what we see again and again throughout the scriptures is that Christianity begins always with a spirit of need, humility, and spiritually destitute person. It's a persistent refrain throughout Jesus' life, and it began with Mary's Magnificat that we, that we read earlier in Advent. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant, sang Mary. The angels came to the shepherds rather than to Augustus or Quirinius. The wretched circumstances of Jesus' birth echoes in the refrain of Psalm 34. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Psalm 34, 18. God did not and does not come to the proud. God did not and does not come to the self-righteous. God did not and does not come to the self-sufficient. And this, my friends, is a truth that we must remind ourselves again and again and again. Christianity, wrongly understood, gives some an elusive sense of spiritual adequacy. Even the most sincere disciple can wrongly turn, into, turn spiritual advances into prideful self-sufficiency. Thinking, ah, I've arrived. No, we must continually guard against this within ourselves, because our only adequacy is in Jesus Christ. Paul reminds that of, of us of this in 2 Corinthians 3, verse 5. And so, God is our salvation, his identity. He comes to, the, the, not the self-righteous, but those who have no righteousness and are humble in themselves. And then the last thing we learn is what he truly gives his people is a true peace. And we discover that in verse 29, 
Because here's old Simeon who's been told miraculously by the Lord that he will not die until he sees the Messiah. We don't know how he told Simeon that or how Simeon know or how Simeon would know. But what we do know about Simeon is that he walked so closely with the Lord that when Mary and Joseph came with Jesus to present him as the firstborn, Simeon knew. And he cries this song, which in Latin is called the Nuc Dimittis. The church prays this at Compline every night. Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace. According to your word, from my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples. A light for the revelation of the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. He now can depart in peace. And he doesn't stop there. Notice he says, this is for everybody, both Jew and Gentile. And then he turns and he blesses both Joseph and Mary, and then he looks to Mary and he says some poignant things which we now to know. This peace isn't an easy peace. This isn't the eagle's peaceful, easy feeling. All right? This is authentic peace. Verse 34, And Simeon blessed them and said to his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that the thoughts from many hearts will be revealed. See, the peace that Simeon's talking about is a peace that ultimately is brought through a sword. Now, swords, when they cut, they sting And there's two edges to a sword, right? And what we see here is that a peace that comes through personal, internal conflict, and sometimes conflict with the world. And Mary is a representation of all who love Jesus. All, even if you're you're just fresh off the the, the boat of spirituality, (laughs) that no matter where you are in your journey, that true peace comes through internal conflict. And if you love him, you stand with him and by him, a sword will pass into your soul. Bishop Ryle said, when a person becomes a Christian, a new peace comes into your life, but at the same time comes a new conflict. Because there is no peace without conflict. They're intrinsically related. And so the first edge of the sword brings the sting of repentance. Repentance is like an antiseptic. You know, you pour antiseptic open a wound and it stings, right? It hurts. We all know what that feels like, but it heals. That's what repentance is like in the life of a believer. There's no way to get into that peace without going through that pain of repentance. You know, we said on Christmas Eve, the great thing about the gospel is anybody can come to God no matter what your record is. Right? Do you remember we said that on Christmas Eve? And many people hear that and they think, well, I'm broad-minded. I believe any good and decent and moral person can find God regardless of what they believe. Now that sounds broad-minded, doesn't it? But Christians believe that's exclusive because it's excluding us. 
who know and believe that Jesus is who he says he is and he's the way to salvation. And that the way to find God for a people who aren't good, for a people who don't have their act together, who aren't disciplined, who aren't wonderful all the time, who get a little snarky when they've had a bad day, and don't necessarily have a good record. Because that's what the gospel is. And some say, how can that be? Well, because that's what the gospel is all about, in a nutshell. Jesus Christ lived the perfect life and died a perfect death and now treats you when you believe in him as if you'd done everything that Jesus had done and suffered the way Jesus had suffered. That's good news. You may say, how can that be? That means when you believe in Jesus, you're adopted not on the base of your record, but on his record. And I know some people would say, well, that's, that's too easy. I can't tell you how many people have said that. Well, that's just, that's just, that's just too easy. What do you mean that's easy? Because you've got to come through repentance. And I don't know about you, but that repentance is hard. When you truly do humble yourself like Mary, it's hard. But that's the only way to get the peace that Simeon is talking about. Is paying the pain of repentance. In other words, all you need is nothing. And most don't have it. Repentance is a sword to the soul. And the only way to get that peace is through repentance. So what does it truly look like? We ask. Yes, it's admit to all the things you've done wrong. Yes, but more than that, it's acknowledging your selfish, sinful heart that you can't change on your own strength. You're going to need help to do so. Therefore, you need both forgiveness and the power to change. And your only hope that way is through the sheer mercy of God. Now, how does that feel to you? Are you squirming a little bit? Does it make you a little uncomfortable? Does that make you, uh, you know, kind of want to get up and walk out? That's good. Because that's what it does in believers and unbelievers. You have to go through that sting. And by the way, like I said, it's for believers too. It was Martin Luther who said, all of life is repentance. Remember? He wouldn't have been a fun dude to hang around. I'm, I, you know, he just is so intense and brilliant. I'm like, get over it, Martin, you know. But let me remind you what real repentance is. Real Christian repentance always brings healing after the sting of the repentance. It may be five seconds, it may be five minutes, it may be five hours, it may be five days, it may be five months, it may be five years, but it will come. The healing will come when you truly repent. Because true Christian repentance, not self-flagellation, True Christian repentance always gets down to the sin beneath the sin. And the sin beneath the sin is always that Jesus' love and work on the cross wasn't enough for you. Let me tell you what the language of a truly repentant heart looks like and sounds like. 
it prays something like this. Lord Jesus, I did this thing because I didn't believe you really loved me. Your love wasn't enough. It was this thing that I denied your love. And I deny that your death and your love is enough for me. And now I believe it is enough for me. Please forgive me. When you repent like that, which is the only way to repent, really, the minute the sword comes in and brings that type of repentance, the sword of repentance starts to lead to the peace you're truly looking for that Simeon's talking about here. Now, the other side of the sword is the sting of obedience to walk the Christian life as a disciple. You see, it feels in our lives like the road to peace is the disobedient road. It's the easier road. It feels better. And the road to following Jesus, which is conflict internally and sometimes externally, is not the right way to go. But God comes along and says, because this is a broken and fallen world, in the short run, the road to obedience is the way of the sword. It's the way of conflict, and it's a broken world. But because it's my world, and because I'm ultimately in charge, the way of obedience is eventually the road to peace. No one knows this better than Johnny Erickson Tata. Most of you know her story, but for those of you who don't, she is a Christian, as a young teenager. She dove into the Chesapeake Bay and broke her neck, and she's been a paraplegic since the late 60s. And for a number of years, she was bitter and very angry at God. And then one day, she said, God, I don't have the right to tell you how to run the universe. And when she figured that out, an absolute radiance developed in her and about her. I've seen her speak twice, and I've never seen a more beautiful countenance on a person. It's amazing the love of Jesus that's in her. And once you've discovered this type of obedience, nothing can get you down. Nothing. When she fought that battle and she realized God's in control and I can trust him, even though she had lost all the use of her limbs, a radiance developed about her. And she exuberated Jesus Christ and a trust developed in her towards everything that Jesus Christ was doing in her life. And she became a radiant person. And she admits now that she never would have found the joy, the character, the strength, and the power for living. But it cost her arms and legs. The sword came in cut her, but then the same sword cut her and healed her as she followed Jesus. So in the short run, it's hard. It's the way of the sword, but in the long run, you'll discover the peace that Simeon's talking about, which the Bible also calls the peace that surpasses all understanding. So Jesus comes with a sword, my friends. He divides people from people. He divides the thoughts and the intentions of our hearts individually. 
So how do we wrap this up? What do we conclude? Well, Christmas teaches us that Christians should not be babies anymore. We got to grow up. We got to grow spiritually in the Lord. And the one thing Simeon is telling us here in this child is that he's the falling and the rising of many in Israel and a sword will pass through your heart as well. Therefore, we should expect that life sometimes is hard and it's troublesome. It's not going to be easy. We should expect conflict as the way to the peace that Simeon's praying about. And the way Jesus brought peace was he went to the cross for us. And therefore, we can know that and recognize that conflicts are inevitable. And Christians who know this also know through the string of sting of repentance and the sting of obedience, I can find a conscience and a peace with God that's beyond my vocabulary. <laughs> and therefore, we're not babies when things happen to us. We don't whine about it. It's expected that hardships are going to happen in our lives. Tim Keller says it this way, we're distressed, but we're not distressed that we're distressed. We're surprised, but we're not surprised that we're surprised. We get depressed, but we're not depressed that we're depressed. Think of it that way. I love that. See, we know these things are going to happen, and when we walk in them, there's, there's a glory in walking in these great truths, my friends. Because where did Simeon get his peace? And he says, Now these eyes of mine have seen your salvation, a light for the revelation of the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. Because he knows the future. Johnny Erickson Tata knows that one day she will throw that wheelchair away and she will run and not stop running. She will walk and not be faint. That's why we too look ahead. That's where our peace will come from. We look out and we see, yes, Jesus became humble for us. He became poor for us. He sacrificed his life for ours upon the cross so that he could be exalted. And we know the same thing. So Christian friends, if you can get this down, you'll be able to face anything. And there's nothing more I want for you than that this Christmas in 2019 year. I really do. Don't shrink back. Walk full into the peace that Simeon is speaking about with the sting of repentance and the sting of obedience, knowing who God is in Jesus Christ and knowing he is our salvation with great humility. And therefore, we won't shrink back. When Simeon said to Mary, there'll be a sword through your soul, what if Mary had said, I don't want that sword. I don't want it. I'm not going to do it. What if Jesus had said, I don't want a sword in my soul. I'm not going to do it, Father. Not for these people. Where would you be? Where would I be? No, my friends, let's walk in these realities. Jesus is our salvation. Therefore, like Mary, let's be humble, recognizing <laughs> he did this for us. He did it for me, of all people. And then let us repent, believe, 
and walk in obedience for his glory this year, who is our salvation and our peace. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you're a God who gives us peace through conflict, a peace through even troubled times. Your son came to set fire on the earth. We thank you that we don't have to be afraid of that fire. Don't have to be shocked when we pass through such fires, O oh Lord, because those fires, they refine us. They purify us until our faith is like pure gold. We thank you that you're a God who's living and active in our lives. And you tell us these things because you love us and you want to assure us of these great truths. And so therefore, Heavenly Father, we ask that you would help us to live them out by the power of your Holy Spirit. And we live them out through the name of Jesus Christ. For it's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen.